Um, my name is Christine, and I'm here to share my story and experience with disordered eating, especially uh, bulimia. So my story starts actually in 2013, and I was 27 years old. Uh, obviously, I didn't know this at the time, but it was the night after Halloween. My friend called me with some last-minute plans and asked if I would go to this club with her. So at first, I said no. I was like really hesitant. I wasn't in the mood. I was telling her, I just want to stay home and play video games. Like, I'm tired. But eventually, she convinced me to go, and I caved. So a bunch of our friends packed into a car. We went to this club. I started speaking to this guy. We had, um, you know, we had some drinks. We had some fun. We partied a little. We were ta talking over the loud music, just getting to know each other. Um, we got in touch, and I actually reached out to him first. We made some plans, and we met up at this cute little Mexican place for our first date. And we hit it off well, kept dating for a while, and... A little sidebar before I go any further, because it's kind of important to the story, is that to describe what I was in my 20s compared to what I feel like I am now. In my 20s, I was like totally carefree. I was super, super confident. Um, you know, I didn't have much stress. I wasn't living at home with my parents. They had already retired and moved away to Texas following my older sister and her two boys. But aside from just like working and getting by and life stuff, like I had a pretty easy life. Life is good. Yeah, totally. Carefree. So personality wise, that's exactly how I was. Um, extremely outgoing, would talk to anybody and I would always make people laugh and make fun of myself. And so you get the picture. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't, 100% consider me to be that way now, but um, that's how I was back then. So, and I um, think naturally too, like we change over time. Like, I, it's funny you say that because I'll look back even, I mean, I know it's so different when you're in high school and you're younger and you just don't think about the seriousness of life and like death and all this yes. stuff. I'm like, back in high school, I didn't care. I, I was living life on the edge and now it's like I'm scared to do everything. I was just I'm having this conversation yeah, actually. Times are different. I think too, because like we see so much scary things online, yes, but absolutely. still it's like, I think naturally we do tend to change the older we get and the more we learn in life. Isn't it funny how like we look back and we're like, oh, so wild back then. Yes. I can't imagine doing anything we're like that. We're old ladies now. We're like clutching <laughs> our pearls. <laughs> <I know. laughs> that is funny. No, but that's, uh, I think that's very, normal yeah for the most part um so like i said i i didn't know it back then but that guy i met at the club is now my husband and his name is matt yeah. <laughs> um so we were together throughout 2014 and we went on a trip to saint lucia um a couple of weeks after we got back my period was late oh boy hmm, what a feeling so i remember um i remember this like it was yesterday we were at Panera having dinner and uh you know I had just like casually mentioned it to him like oh you know this is weird that this happened because I'm never really like late and he's like looking at me like all right we should probably like you know go get a test just to make yeah. sure so there was a stop and shop next door and we went in there <laughs> and we got these pregnancy tests from the grocery store all right so we kind of like rush home to take the test and uh show is positive. And I remember that feeling so well because it was so like seemingly out of character for what I thought I was going to react. Um, growing up thinking of that moment like that you know that you're pregnant, like, oh my God, and like you're freaking out and stuff. But I, for some reason, I didn't. I guess it had something to do with how like, uh, you know, yeah. whatever I, I was back then, totally carefree. I just like sat down and I was like, oh, it shows that I'm positive. And that was my reaction. Um, and then it was kind of funny because we ran out to Walgreens after that because like we wanted to make sure. We were like, let's just double check. So we bought like those really high-end ones that actually say pregnant or not pregnant, mm -hmm. the digital ones, just to make sure. Obviously, the answer remained the same. Um, and I remember telling my mom over the phone her first reaction. It wasn't anything bad, but it was just like, I thought it was kind of a funny slash strange reaction because yeah. she goes, oh, interesting. And I was like, it was so funny because I felt like I was almost a teenager, like getting in trouble. Like I was 16 and coming forward to my parents telling them, right. oh, this happened, you know, like, Interesting. <laughs> so kind of like I had 
done something wrong, but uh-huh. it was just odd. Do you feel like maybe you weren't ready yet? Is that kind of like where you were? Mentally? Maybe like that's what she thought. Like, oh, it kind of happened fast because it did. Okay. Honestly, it really did. Like I had met him and, um, you know, it happened shortly after. I want to say like six or so months after mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, but we were living together at the time, but still like, you know, my parents hadn't really met him and right. they were living, you know, at a state. So it was fresh. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I can, I guess I can kind of like, as a mom now understand that reaction. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm pregnant and, you know, after all the initial shock wears off, Matt and I talk about what to do next. I wasn't working a job that had very good health insurance. And as we all know how important that is. Um, so he works for a union who has really good benefits. So we spoke about the consideration of actually getting married, even though uh, we weren't together very long. We needed to do it quick, though. Um, so we got married at Town Hall on August 26th. And honestly, it was a good thing that we did that because although for the most part, I had an okay, uneventful pregnancy, um, there was one like horrible scare that happened. Um, it was a subchorionic hemorrhage situation. And, um, you know, without getting into too much like crazy gross detail, it's like I was at a movie theater and um, I had started cramping up and I kind of just knew that something was off there. I kind of like felt this feeling I hadn't felt before. It was like really intense cramping. And then, you know, when the movie was over, I went to the bathroom and, you know, there was some blood and I was like, oh no, I thought I had lost the baby, but um, went to the hospital the next day and I was there for a while. They ran all these like tests and luckily everything was fine. And they they described it as like a hematoma or something okay. like that. So, yeah. So besides that, honestly, it was a pretty uneventful pregnancy mm-hmm. um, until about my 38th week. Um, and I don't know all of like the technical science behind this, but the doctor wanted me wanted to induce me because it was worse for the baby to stay in because she wasn't growing. Okay. Something to that effect. And uh, I was horrified because you want to talk about being ready. I was not ready for that. I was not ready to, you know, go in for a routine appointment and then have my doctor say, okay, I want to induce you. It's not time yet. (laughs) I'm like, wait, I still have a couple weeks, please. She's like, all right, let's induce you either today or tomorrow. So I had like this crazy choice to make and me being the person I am, I put it off. Mm. (laughs) I put it off for the day. I went home, packed a bag and, you know, just tried to like mentally prepare myself for the madness that was going to ensue. So um, Matt called my parents and they tried to get on an earlier flight to come out to New York and come see me. Um, We're at the hospital the next day. I'm kind of like unable to control my feelings. I kind of felt like I was reeling at that point. I was so, so scared, so scared. I get to the room, I get all hooked up and I'm given Pitocin, um, which is like the hormone that they give you to induce the labor. I was not able to sleep. I was like in so much pain, which is kind of funny because the nurses ended up telling Matt that like, oh, sh- this is just getting started. The pain is like a two out of 10. And I was like, I don't know how the hell I'm going to get through this yeah. if this is a two out of 10. And like, I was in so much pain and just like so nervous. I remember my mother-in-law came to the hospital and the second that she walked into the room, I just started bawling like I I didn't even say hello like she walked into the room I was just like oh my god I'm so scared help me (laughs) that is crazy (sighs) so they gave me a choice at that point to either um keep going with the induction or get a c-section because the the night like I had stayed over nothing was happening I wasn't far enough along um I guess contraction wise to you know, to make it happen. So I was like, oh my God, I don't want to have a C-section. That's a surgery. And I start like, you know, going off on a mental tangent about that. And uh, it was either that or go through another day of Pitocin hell. And I was like, well, I I think the choice is made up for me at this point. So I decided to go with the C-section. So in the morning, um, it was time for the epidural, which is 
so weird because it's this thing where they don't let your partner come into the room with you yeah. with that big giant needle in your back. And like, that's when you need them the most. But right, cause it's scary. So scary. This friggin' thing was like, did it hurt? This big, it did. It really did. And I think like me being tense and nervous only made it worse. Oh my God. Yeah. And then like, you just feel your body and your legs going numb. And then they like tap you and like, can you feel this? <laughs> and it's like, nope, I oh can't. And that's weird. But um, yeah, it was scary. I don't know why they do that, by the way. I don't know if it's like they're nervous about the men like passing out or yeah, something, but. Maybe, I mean. Sh- I could see um, why they would pass out. It scares out. me just thinking about it. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So I guess seeing it could be kind of mm-hmm. intense. Right, nerve wracking. Oh man, so so there we go. I'm, I got the epidural and then the C-section happens and uh, I give birth to my daughter, Olivia, um, around 10 a.m. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so after that, at that point was the C-section recovery. Um, I was in a lot of pain. I wasn't able to do much, which really sucked. Like I had to rely on a lot of people, um, which I'm super grateful for that they were there. But like I I wanted to be able to like get up and move around and do yeah. stuff for myself. So that was like a little, a little tough mentally. Um, and because you're sitting there also like I I know I need to do all of this right. stuff for the baby. I just can't. And I want to. Yeah. Like, I think we're re- having to rely on anybody to do the basic things that you once could do on your own. It's infuriating. It like, it's really so is. Oh, my gosh. Like basic stuff. Shaving your legs, putting yep. your underwear on. This is all stuff I needed help with. Yeah. <laughs> like I felt like a child. But that's, you know, looking back now, I'm I'm happy that, you know, people were so willing to help. Right. Um. So that was nice. Then came the adjustment to parenting after that. So that was a big thing, Um. especially after Matt went back to work, um, which I don't know, I think that was like two weeks maybe after something along those lines. But it was a it was a tough adjustment. I was still recovering like I was in a lot of pain all the time, still not able to do much. Mm -hmm. And uh, we decided at that point um, I would be a stay at home mom. So I didn't return to work. I tried doing as much as I possibly could, given like my physical um, situation. And uh, things started to get difficult, like I said, adjusting, you know, to this brand new life. Um, I was really sleep deprived. I remember that. I remember not knowing what the hell to do and kind of just like winging it. Um, I remember just feeling like life was a bit chaotic at that time. And then, um, you know, naturally, you argue with your partner when you're both feeling that way. There's two sleep deprived people in the same house. So... We did. We started arguing a bit and it was chaotic, which definitely put stress on us. We were a new, you know, married couple, too. Right. So like you had that element. We had a new child, but we also woke up one day after not knowing each other for that long. And we were husband and wife. So it was like you woke up one day, you were a spouse, you were a parent. And then, you know, you just feel that mental toll that it takes on you. Um, So. We actually decided to um, move to Texas because my parents were there at the time. We thought that, like, you know, we would have more help with the baby there. Um, In the past, we kind of had, like, thrown around that idea and uh, we just kind of decided to jump on it. But I remember feeling like for some reason... Uh, a couple weeks before we left, I was having a conversation with him and and I was like, I just have this really bad feeling about moving there. I don't know why. I know we've spoken about it before, but I just had this gut feeling. And ultimately, like I said, we decided to go. We packed up the newborn baby, the dog, the bird, and we drove without stopping or staying overnight straight through to Texas in July 2015. My daughter was only three months old at the time, so it was kind of wild yeah (laughs) we decided we would live with my parents until we got on our feet and could go off on our own um but as they say things don't always work out that way um and i'll just say that i have this like theory that you're never meant to like live with your parents after you've already moved out no (laughs) there's been times i've thought about if i had to do that no i'm sorry mom just no no you can't it's like no 
No, yeah, simply exactly. no. Nope. There's so many reasons, but no, it's I the easiest know. way. You get so used to this certain yeah. way of life and you go back and it's almost like it reverts everyone back to that. And it's like you're 10 steps ahead and they kind of like look at you like you're back as a child. Exactly. Again. Exactly. And that's pretty much what happened here. Like it was it was a trip. Um there's a huge generation gap also oh, with yeah. me and and my parents. Mm-hmm. They had me when they were much older. So, you know, there's a phrase old and stuck in your ways. And I can 100% see why that exists, especially yeah. in this situation. Um, part of that, you know, I felt like they were running interference on my parenting. I started to feel really judged about being a parent um, and, you know, Like I said, it all happened so fast that I really didn't know much like what I was doing. I never had like a little sibling. Like I was the youngest one and my experience with children were like my two nephews and I didn't get to see them all that often. So I really was like lacking in the how to care for a child department. But I was really doing the best I could really and truly. And I think most people that don't have the help, you kind of have to just go on your natural instinct and just yeah. wing it in a sense. If you 100%. don't have that understanding, there is no I don't I've heard people say it before, there's no like perfect way to mother or like a mm-hmm. book on how to mother. Like everybody's going to do it differently. Mm-hmm. And I think however you choose to do that is just going to be your way. Yeah. Hopefully every, it's the best way that you can. Everybody you know just tries I mean? to yep. do their best at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's the thing though when you have like an older family, I think that they might perceive however you're doing it as not the way that they would do it and you know older italian family they're Mm -hmm. very like outspoken and stuff like that so that's pretty much what happened um and things just started to like build up there was like there was just a lot of like tension and almost like anger i guess or resentment just from like I don't know, maybe watching the way that I was being a parent or having me there is probably stressful for them too, you know, because I kind of interfered with their life as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of stupid fights about minute things and things that don't even make sense to ever get upset over. And the fights got really bad, honestly. They became bigger and bigger because there was so much of this pent-up animosity. Um, And it built until one last, like, terrible blow-up happened. And after that, I remember I called Matt and I was, like, crying, like, outside talking to him. And I'm like, we gotta, we gotta just go. We have to go. I have to get out of here. Like, we're not getting along. And he said, okay, when I come home from work, like, we're gonna go apartment hunting. So that's exactly what we did. Um, So at that point, I was feeling pretty mentally taxed over everything. Like, everything that had happened in the last six months and from the move and being a mom and all that. And I started to develop really bad postpartum depression, really bad. And it's just one of those things where like, if you, if you haven't like gone through it, it's like, imagine your worst bout of depression and then times it by a hundred. It's like this physiological change that happens in your brain. And it, It affects everything like you start to feel differently about things that you once felt good about. And one of those things I, you know, was myself like I started to not feel confident about anything. And with what I perceived as my family's judgment upon me, like I started to believe that like I was a bad mom or this and that. And I mean, it sucked. And I had a lot of family members who were like armchair psychologists who you know, would talk to one another. Oh, we think that she has postpartum depression, but they didn't like bring this to my attention. We never had a conversation about it. Like it was basically just based upon what they saw. But instead of like coming forward to me and sitting me down and being like, hey, like I notice A, B and C about what's going on. It was it was more like they would talk to each other on the phone about yeah, it. Yeah, like talking behind closed doors rather yeah. than like, oh, let's figure this out and help yeah, you. Yeah, let's yeah. like address the problem. Like right. I see a problem, I want to help, like let's see how we could do or that. Or even just like check in to see how you were doing. Yep, exactly. 
So I started finding out about like these comments that were said during those conversations. Um, a lot of uh, verbatim, like, what is her problem? Like, she isn't close with the baby. Why isn't she close with the baby? Which like, I I still to this day don't understand where that came from because I was always around Olivia, like always. I did everything I could for her. Um, she's not spending enough time with the baby. She has an issue being a mom. I wrote like this blog post online recapping like the entire birth experience and like how I was feeling the day of and just detailing everything because I wanted this to eventually be seen by Olivia. I wanted her to like marvel at it one day like, hey, this is your birth story. This is what happened the day that you were born. How cool is that? Like, yeah. So that was the whole point of me writing that. And then like I I had somebody say, oh, they read the blog post and they were like, doesn't she have anything better to do? And like I I was really hurt by all of these things that were being said. I was just like I felt so unsupported. I felt like, well, what the hell am I doing here then? Yeah. Like and not a good feeling. And it only made the postpartum depression and the thoughts that I was having from that like dig deeper and deeper into my brain that I was like this bad person, bad mom. Um, so, and I don't know, maybe it's because like I am a very like sensitive person. I'm oversensitive, I guess. That's just me, but I don't know, maybe like other people would have been bothered by that too. I try to tell myself that like, you know, I wasn't being hypersensitive, that there are people out there who would have been affected by that. But at the time, I was like really, really affected by it. Um, like I said, I was hurt. It would have been a better situation if like, you know, I felt like they could just talk to me. Um, and if that's how they really felt, just bringing it to my attention, I think I would have understood the resentment a little bit more. Um, I remember my family even uh, went to my husband about it and like he was having a bad day at work. So like they caught him on like a bad time. And then I feel like because he was having a bad day that that day, it made him almost like believe what they were saying about me not being close with the baby. Like not that they were purposely planting seeds, but like they brought it up to him and then he was kind of like this is what was said and like this is what I'm seeing now because this is what was said and just like knowing that it came from my family people who know me the best out of anybody um and him not even knowing me as well as they do I think that he believed everything yeah. that they were saying so we got into like this huge fight um in the Jersey Mike's parking lot and um yeah, that was kind of like a tipping off point for me. It drove a wedge between us. It caused a lot of problems. And, um, you know, I felt I had a lot of shame. I felt like I was a bad mom. I was embarrassed. And any time I gave like the slightest inkling of like feeling to to anybody, um, I would be told I was like too sensitive. Stop, you know making a big deal out of everything but those comments and like the way that my rapport was with my husband like obviously it was affected by them yeah so you know i didn't feel like i was overreacting but that's i think how it was perceived mm -hmm. and then kind of like <laughs> the nail in the coffin this is like what i call i refer to as the thing the thing that like happened that Bring, almost brings in like the eating issues um, kind of where I tie back to my earlier comments about my personality and stuff like that I was this person who never thought about myself in any negative way or looked at my body in a certain way but there was a comment mentioned to me one day um, and it really made me reevaluate everything the comment was um, well I had for context, I had just finished dinner and I guess I was a little full and I, you know, like I guess I had shown that I was full, like my stomach. You had and a food baby. A food baby. Thank you. And I thought that's all that that was. And like I could just let it go right off my shoulder. But that's not how my postpartum right. brain was working with all this stuff going on. And so somebody made a comment to me going, are you OK, Chris? Like and. They made this motion with their hands like, are, you look a little, are you pregnant again? Like, And like, I 
I guess, like I said, my postpartum brain just took that and materialized it and blew it up in my head and in my life. And uh, it, like I said, it made me reevaluate thinking that, uh, well, this person's obviously seeing something that I'm not seeing. Like, thank God that they told me this because now I know I have to do something about it. Um, so slowly over time, that thought, it snowballed and it snowballed into other thoughts. Those thoughts snowballed into a complete lack of confidence, which I never had experienced before. Lots of self-doubt. And that snowballed into the self-destructive behaviors that became my eating disorder. Um, and again, I like before I go on, I do want to say that the comments and the situations that happened... Um, that did capitalize on my depression and the things that happened subsequently. Um, I just wanted to be know to be known that I in no way blame anybody involved. Like looking back on it now, especially, I do wholly believe that my mental state was in such chaos that my eating disorder would have happened regardless. Yeah, regardless of what anybody said to me. And I think sometimes too, and when you're. When your mind is in that kind of place, all it takes is like one little thing to just mm-hmm. set it off and start down that road. A hundred percent. That's yeah. exactly what happened. Um, and, uh, you know. But everybody be- should maybe think before they that too. speak. That too. Maybe. And I was really <laughs> angry about it yeah. for a long time. That's what I was like. I couldn't come to terms with it. Yeah. Like, this is such a basic thing. Like, right. as kids were told, like, you know, not to say these kinds of things, to think about what you say before you say it. But yet, like, we don't actually do that in our adult lives. Like, it didn't make any sense to me. And these are people that, like, have such a big impact on your life, you know, that those are the last people that you think will say something like that and make Mm -hmm. you feel cruddy, whether it was intentional or not. So, yeah, those comments, they deeply affected my my confidence and uh my mental state obviously was already compromised but um kind of created a reality that my a new reality that my brain constructed and um at that time i just took it and it was really out of hand um i moved out of my parents house and things were status quo for a while after that i was still struggling with uh, postpartum depression, but I kind of kept it to myself completely just under the assumption that like I can't come to anybody with this because they'll just say, oh, you're being too sensitive. And even if I had brought up that comment about my body, again, that's what I felt like I was going to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good feeling. Then you're keeping it to yourself and your brain is literally translating for you into something else. Like you're disgusting. Like I can't believe it. Like you had a kid and this is what you look like. You're going to be one of those people, you know, like that just lets themselves go. But that's really how I felt. Um, And uh, I wasn't in Texas for even a year officially. And then we decided to move back to New York. Um, we decided to start over. Now, this is when my eating disorder really, really kicked in. Um, this is when the restriction began because that's how this whole thing started. And I can't say that one thing really kicked it off from that point. Like just, I, I don't even know, maybe the stress of moving back, who knows. But my meals, they just got smaller and smaller. My weight dropped off really, really fast. Um people noticed and it made me feel good like it's it's sick i know but anytime somebody said something to me about my weight it made me feel like i had power like i was in control and like you hear it all the time oh eating disorders are about control it's so true though it really is because i was so addicted to what people were saying to me, I wanted it to keep going. And I kept thinking to myself, the smaller and smaller you get, the more you're going to hear that. And it's like a drug. It's adrenaline when people say that. And I had such inspiration to keep going. I used to seek out these eating disorder forums. The fact that these things like exist is just weird and and it's wild and I I went on them and I would post on them I would read messages I would read people's thoughts about their own eating disorders tips and tricks on to like how 
to have an eating disorder, how to keep it going. And I, I mean, there's pictures, there's videos, and I would seek that out. Like I would go and look at pictures of sick people, people with anorexia. And I would think to myself, this is what I want to look like. And I knew what I was doing to myself psychologically. I was purposely seeking this stuff out so that I could psychologically change the way that I thought and make it make everything about that make every little thing about losing weight so uh, my weight did drop that all that stuff worked and uh, I dropped to 88 pounds and it was probably the happiest that I ever was and I put that into quotations because I really did feel like at the time that that kind of control made me happy and uh Obviously, looking back on it now, I understand the difference between actual happiness and not. But Yeah, and I think, too, that when you're – I mean, when you look at it from the perspective of where your mind was then, not that it's a healthy way or the right way of thinking, but, like, somebody made a comment about your weight, and then you successfully started losing that weight so fast. So it makes – it only makes sense that, like, hearing – that reaction would fuel you to keep going. Mm-hmm. It's like, where do you stop? Because it's like, you, like you said, you just keep wanting it. You want to keep hearing it. Exactly. Where do you stop? And you don't. It's the drug. It's yeah. like any other drug. It's like an addiction. Too. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And, uh, you know, people kept feeding it. People kept feeding it with their comments and not even knowing what what that was doing. And I just, I loved it. I would overexercise multiple times a day. Um, any excuse to walk someplace, um, I knew in my mind would be calorie burning. Um, I did everything from like doing sit-ups in bed. I, I would watch movies about eating disorders just to see the actors in them to like get inspiration from. It's really just... It becomes sick. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's really bad. It's really bad. And uh, so at this point, you are basically just restricting yourself and not eating and over over exercising. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I kept seeing that number go down and thinking that I was happy. But I, I look back now and I'm realizing the weight went down. The depression actually went up. It was such a right. false sense of. Well, too, I think when you are that low in weight. It's hard to have energy yes. and motivation. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like you can like what you're seeing in a way, but then it's like, what about the other aspects of your life? Totally. You're literally depriving yourself yes. of your brain is not fully functioning. Yep. And this is something that I didn't realize at the time, but my therapist told me like your brain's only functioning at a certain capacity. So the things that you think are reality really aren't. Mm-hmm. So that. You know, that just kind of went on for a while. And uh, I I decided to go to therapy. Matt kind of forced me into it, honest, because I didn't want there to be a problem. I was enjoying what I was doing and seeing and all that. But, you know, he started to notice and he like forced me into therapy. Um, so I went and uh, my therapist actually eventually told me the first day that I walked into that office, he knew what I was there for. He knew that I had an ED and um, I just thought that was so like crazy at the time, like really just by looking at me. But again, I was seeing what other people would say. No, just hearing that, though, made it like, yes, Mm -hmm. like I'm doing something like I'm succeeding. Yeah. Yeah, people are noticing. How far can I take it? And, uh, you know, the the therapy helped a little bit, not in terms of like weight or weight restoration. It kind of helped with like just bringing up like a lot of stuff from my past that I might have had resentment towards stuff that I was angry about, brought that to the surface. Um, and it kind of made things worse before it got better because of that. But that's really how therapy is supposed to work. It's supposed to be uncomfortable, but because it was bringing up all of these like weird feelings, uncomfortable feelings, I think that I purposely turned it into um, something worse for myself. I took those feelings and I was like, I'm going to self-destruct even more than I already was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really struggled with it all and everything, you know, kind of just went on for a while. But 
um, then that's where like the bulimia kicked in. And that's where I decided to take all of those uncomfortable feelings and, and I guess I manifested it into this bulimia issue. And uh, I don't know, like when you binge and purge, it's, it's this weird like feeling. Looking back on it now, I, I think about like the purge thing and I'm like, what was I trying to get rid of at that point? It's, it sounds kind of like weird, but my therapist told me to think of it like that. Like what feeling were you trying to get rid of at, at that time? Thinking of a purge as like you're trying to get out this bad whatever it is that you're feeling. And my assumption is I was trying to like move past the depression that I was feeling, feeling ashamed about having postpartum and, and you know, feeling like people just didn't understand it and who thought it was like, oh, she doesn't want to be a mom versus something that you literally can't help mm-hmm. having when you're a mom. So bulimia is when you're Binge eating. So you're mm-hmm. just eating a bunch. Eating a bunch. And then you're throwing it up. Throwing it up, yeah. And were you still restricting yourself or you at this point you're eating whatever you want? Well, it started as I was restricting while, you know, I initially like did the bulimia thing at first. And okay. then it went from from that to just straight binging and purging where I wasn't restricting anymore because then I got addicted to like eating this insane amount of food yeah. all the time. So – were, was this a daily thing? Like it you was daily. daily. It was daily. And was it just once a day or multiple times? <laughs> it started as once, okay. and it it went into a spiral, and it would it would be multiple times a day. After like I would say the first six months or so of okay. doing it, um, where I felt like it was controlled. When I stopped restricting and I just did the binging and the purging, I I would do it multiple times a day, like up to four times a day. So, and it was basically what, after every time you would eat? Yep. Okay. Yep, pretty much. I would probably have like one meal that I kept down, which was usually breakfast. And then it would be like lunch or a snack or dinner, but it wasn't, it wasn't lunch, snack, and a dinner. It was like enormous amounts of food, enough for like 10 lunches and oh it was it was awful it really was awful i i remember i had like wanted to try it before and i would go onto those forums seeking out information on how to do it and like i read about people using objects down their throat to try to you know purge and i read this one post about a toothbrush Oh my God, please. <laughs> Nobody ever do that. It is so dangerous. And somebody had replied to that post saying that exact thing, like, oh my God, please don't, don't ever use an object. Like you have, you run the risk of literally it breaking off in your throat and, and you could die. Somebody posted that they knew somebody who that had happened to. And, <clears throat> uh, the fingers stopped working for a while. The crazy thing is I went from one to two to three to four because I guess your body gets used to it. Right. And I, I it's almost like you don't have that gag reflex. Yeah, anymore. you lose that completely. Right. It's so weird. So and at this point, were you pretty much maintaining the weight you were at or was this making you thinner? Well, at first it made me thinner. And okay. then when I stopped the restriction process, it it made me actually gain because I was I was taking in so much food and even though like you think you're getting it all up, if you have that much food that you're taking in, it's impossible to get it all up. So I actually gained, which made me feel even worse. Right. Which probably made you want to do it more. More. And that's why the the four times a day thing happened. Okay. Yeah. So you can't sustain that. It's (laughs) you may think that you're getting everything up and you just you just don't especially if you're like me and sweets were a big thing so like i would have cookies and chocolate i would have chips i would have all any kind of dessert i was a big dessert person so that was my thing and especially if you're consuming that kind of food where like it's empty calories and it's really bad like you're not going to get it all out yeah. so i I was miserable from it all. Um, I call it like the chains of ED. It's insidious. It it takes over your life. It really does. And 
at that point, I wasn't the only one like who knew there was a problem. Matt did start to notice. He started to question, um, but I kept everything in. And honestly, I, I hate to say this. I would do anything to keep it under wraps because I wanted to keep it going. I lied so many times and I'm not proud of that, but I lied to so many different people who were noticing like this change in my body and even like the change in personality that happened from Texas up until this point, like I had started changing personality wise, but after the eating disorder developed, it was, it was rapid fire. I was just, miserable I didn't want to do anything let alone like go out with family or friends to like a restaurant or whatever if there was like a special occasion I would stress out about that so much because I didn't want to eat in front of people it was either I was going to not eat and and restrict so that I wouldn't overeat which puts so much pressure on myself because like at that point then my stomach is so stretched out from all these binges that I was starving right. when I got to like the restaurant or the bar or whatever it was like I wanted to eat. And then during those times, I I would eat like normally or really just like little so that I didn't binge. But then I would go home and I would binge anyway. Right. And like, oh God, I couldn't get out of this cycle. It was it was not it was not fun. And like I said, I had a lot of shame around it. I was embarrassed. Like I tried everything to keep it under wraps. Like, yeah. I mean, all did your husband realize that you were throwing up? He had an inkling. Yeah. Okay. But and you would I, try to hide it. I would try to hide it. Yep. I would like <laughs> have my phone on like the loudest volume in the bathroom pretending I was like going to the bathroom and being there for 20 minutes and like you know girls don't really do that right guys are in the bathroom for 20 minutes but mm -hmm. girls don't spend that much time in there like what else would I have been doing and he actually ended up telling me eventually that he um, thought he heard something one time but he wasn't sure and when like he tried to approach me with it I shut it down completely. I don't even remember this. That's how often I feel like I had to hide it when somebody said something that I don't even remember this one instance. But he did say that like I shut it down completely and we almost got into like a fight over it. So I guess I was like, I, I was good at making people believe like, what do you mean? It's a stomach ache. Like don't, don't go too far with what you're thinking, you yeah. know? And I had a big, big attitude about it. And uh, I guess people just didn't want to bring it up to me anymore. Um, I also, as bad as it sounds, I felt like I, I failed in my eating disorder, but I remember feeling this way because um, I looked at bulimia as like the weak person's eating disorder. Like before I had started the binging and purging, um, I was restricting and to me back then I looked at that like you have control and you have power over yourself but bulimia is disgusting you're throwing up you have no control over how you how much you eat like what's wrong with you so that only made like the mental state even worse for a person that already had such a fragile mental state right so that's kind of where I was at at that point, my whole life became a numbers game, calories, constantly looking in the mirror, body checking um, when I couldn't find a scale or when I didn't have one. And I really thought I could keep going like this in terms of my eating disorder. I wasn't sure if mentally I could, but physically it, there was no stopping me. And plus, like because I was gaining weight and plateauing, I wanted to go back and lose that weight. So... That turned into like full-blown panic attacks. Um, my therapist diagnosed me with generalized anxiety disorder. I started taking like medication to keep the panic attacks away. But really, it was a problem of hating myself. When you have an ED, you hate yourself. And <laughs> I was comparing myself constantly to people like online because I was so... I was so sick in seeking out what I thought I wanted to look like that I would purposely compare myself and look at people who I thought were my ideal, you yeah. know? So again, like I used it as a way of control. Like I said, it was like a, a drug. The more that I, I did it, the more I had to do it. 
And uh, I felt myself really changing. I was no longer happy. Everything became a chore. Um, and honestly, that's a feeling I still struggle with today. Like we touched on that in the beginning of the episode. Like I used to love doing things and getting out of the house. And, you know, nowadays I cannot imagine it. I'm trying to be better about that truthfully and like force myself out, force myself out of my comfort zone. And, uh, you know, that's something that's going to take a while. But well, this is a big step. I was thinking that, too, yeah, on the way here. Huge. I'm like, oh, nothing like going from two people in my entire life, no one to uh, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, really. And even like because you did travel to get here, too. Mm -hmm. So it's like that's a bit that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I probably would not have been able to do that a couple years ago. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, I got to give myself a little Absolutely. bit of grace and say, like, hey, you know, you're making steps in the right direction. Yes. Nothing like ripping off the Band-Aid, exactly. you know, like, <laughs> so um, back then what made me feel better was writing. Like I used to write a lot of poetry and I had a poem. Um, it was probably the best one I think I ever wrote. It's called White Room and it's about um, the first time I ever did it was in this small bathroom, which was white. The walls were white and it goes into it like completely detailing everything that I felt the first time and like the struggle in your mind um, with how you feel about yourself. And uh, I'm, I'm still really, really proud of that one. So writing was a big outlet back then. Listening to music was a big outlet, but it was still, I was still in that state and I, yeah. I couldn't get out of it regardless. So um, aside from the weight number changing, there was also a lot of physical effects um, as you may as you may uh, hear, I had a really, really stuffy nose all of the time. I used to have to bring like nasal spray with me in my bag everywhere. And people would always be like, oh, do you have a cold? Are you sick? And I always used to say, oh, it's allergies. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just a little nasally today. Don't worry about it. But I constantly had a stuffy nose. Um, it's the puffy face syndrome too, where it's like, because you, when you're throwing up, you swell over like from here down basically. And I started to notice that too, um, where my body was pretty thin, but my face looked like if you had only seen it from here up, it would almost look as if I was like 10 pounds overweight. Kind of a weird phenomenon that happens, but that is something that I, I noticed myself and struggled with then because it's like when you have an eating disorder, the last thing you want to see is a puffy face. Yeah. So um, I would go to any lengths to nurture this eating disorder when I was actively binging and purging. I actually combined that with laxative pills so I could, you know, tell myself I'm getting rid of everything in any way that I could. Um, and then eventually when I slowed down the frequency of the binging and purging, I, I went from like four times a day at my worst to like maybe once a day. And then I, I still kept overusing the laxatives like four or five, sometimes six a day so that the next day I was like in the bathroom the whole time. It was- And I was gonna say too, with all of this going on, I'm sure it was hard to leave the house because it's like you always yes. have to be in the bathroom. Yep, yep. And like with when you take that many, you're constantly going like right. throughout the day. It was as if I was purposely giving myself like IBS or something. Yeah. You know, and I've seen what that does to people. I, I just, <laughs> I can't believe that like it went that far. Um, And then in 2020, I finally admit it to the first person ever. I admit it to Matt. And I don't remember... Um, exactly how this conversation got brought up. I think we were talking about um, like lying and and like being open with one another, something to that effect. But I remember being in the backyard in our little porch and he had admitted to me something that like he had kept from me. And he kind of alluded like to the fact of, hey, if there's anything that like you want to talk about too, let me know. And I was like, you know, playing it off at first. I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, there's nothing I want to talk about. Let's talk about this thing that you just brought up. But eventually he hinted toward like, you know, the eating and how I look different and things like that. And I finally ended up telling him. It, it honestly felt like a weight 
lift it off my shoulders, yet at that point I wasn't ready to to do anything about it. Right. And, you know, he he had a great reaction. He was disappointed, like not, you know, in me. He was disappointed that this had happened in the first place. And probably that you felt that lack of confidence in yourself. Cause that's sad to see with somebody that you care about. Totally. And especially somebody who never was like that before. Mm -hmm. It was very unexpected. I was a completely different person than the one that like he met and the one that I know I was back then. So I think it was, it was like, a, oh, this kind of sucks that this happened to you type of thing. And, you know, he, he was supportive, but I wasn't ready to stop anything at that point. Um, so actually, and one thing I've been thinking about with regard to like doing this podcast is, you know, I've seen a lot of the episodes and, the guests usually have some kind of like conclusion to their story, like some kind of success story that they go through and they're able to like sit there and inspire people like and admittedly, I'm I'm still struggling. I with this, I am not sitting here as a success, as a success story, but I have a lot of hope that I will be one day. Mm-hmm. I want to come back here in however long it takes and and be that guest yeah. saying, look, like I'm good now. I still struggle. I still mess up from time to time. And I, I do struggle with binging and purging. But it's nothing like it was. And here's the thing, too, is I think that and this isn't to discredit anyone that's been on. But it's funny that you bring this up because I think it was last week or the week before. um, I had somebody on that was still dealing with the issues that they were having. And it made me realize like, wow, like that is a little bit of a switch up. But I think that the the interesting thing about your journey and everybody's is different, but we can all come out to a place where we're more healed. But I think that in a way, not for everybody, but it, things always still kind of linger. And it might always still some, be something that could be a struggle because it was once there. Um, and it is part of our journey. So mm-hmm. I think that even in 10 years, if you're in a place that you're, you know, way better than you are even today, it's like those things still might be in the back of your mind. And that's not, I don't think that's a horrible thing. Obviously, we we want to recover and we want to heal and we want to be the best versions of ourselves, but we are who we are because of what we go through and those experiences. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So it's like, and a lot of the people that come on, I think that while it might seem like they're completely healed and it's like they have this story of like, mm-hmm. well, look at me now and I'm better now. It's like we we all still struggle in some yeah. way. Um, and I think, you know, I think it, like I said, it's just interesting that you bring that up because I did just have a guess where like they were still very much in it. And I was like, it's very interesting oh, okay. because it hasn't yeah. posted yet. But okay. I was like, it's very interesting because most people do have this conclusion. Yeah. Um, but I think there is a huge group and reality that of people that, they haven't hit that conclusion yet. Mm-hmm. And who even knows if you fully 100% reach that point where you're like, oh, I'm 100% better. I'm 100%. Because right. every day is different. We, You might wake up one day and feel like you're 100% recovered and yep. better. And I can look back and say, you know, this was in the past. But you also might wake up a day where you look in the mirror and you might not love what you see. Absolutely. But that's human nature, mm-hmm. I feel like. Like yep. we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to be perfect. The only thing is I think that we can learn what's good for us and what's not. Yeah. And how we can be the best version of ourselves. But there's always, we're always going to have those harder days. Yeah, 100%. And it's like, my therapist once told me, it's the way that I feel, it's kind of like the same as, you know, when you're an addict of any kind, they tell you that you're always an addict. Like an alcoholic is 100% an alcoholic for the rest of their lives, regardless, you know, if they had their last drink 40 years ago, they're still an alcoholic. So she told me that it's kind of the same concept where you're always going to have an eating disorder. It's just like, are you actively in it, participating in it or not? And it's hard too. I think that when you, I mean, that was a huge part of your life. Mm -hmm. So when you have that, I mean, this goes for anything, re- like relationships, people in your life. Like, yep. even if you cut a person off, they were still po- yep. like, they, it'll still linger in your mind. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if something was a part of your life for so long and it became a routine, 
even if you're out of that routine, those thoughts still might pop in now and then because it is such it is a part of your journey. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, there's days that you're going to be okay and days mm-hmm. that you're not. And that's really the truth at the end of the day. It's interesting, though, that the person that you just had on is kind of similar yep. to me. It was kind of nice to know that, like, you know, yes. there's people that are still working on it. Yeah, and he, I, I think his was male anorexia. Really? So, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was, We're going to have to get in contact. Yes. No, it was interesting. It was very <laughs> yeah. interesting. Wow. So. Okay. Well, at least, you know, we're not alone, yes, right? Not alone. And so. that's the thing. Like, and I, like, I always tell people, it's, I think the beauty of the show is knowing that you're not alone. Totally. Yeah. And what you're going it's through. The whole point of doing it, yep. you know, because, and there's something nice about knowing that you're going through it with somebody, you know, people Yeah, even can, if you don't know them. Yeah, exactly. I know that a lot, you know, there's been a couple episodes that still stick in my head. I hope that I can be that to somebody. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like I was at first a little self-conscious about yeah. coming on because of that. Like, oh, I'm not 100% out of it yet. So, like, what good am I going to do there? But then I was just like, Chrissy, give yourself you know, some grace, yeah, give yourself some leeway there because you're working on it. And also from an outside perspective, you really own your story. Like the way that you tell it comes from a place of such confidence. And I really mean that. Like you really? speak and you like know what you're going to say. So Thank I think you. that that's something to really give yourself credit for because it doesn't seem like you're someone that's just like not confident or struggling. Like it re- really, you, you own your story. And I think even if you're still – in your journey of recovery and healing, it's like that you can really see that. Like that is a light that comes off oh, you. Thank you. Of that course. I really do appreciate yeah. that. That's that's it's awesome true. to hear. That's really, really good to hear. Good, I'm glad. Um, so basically that, you know, my story's not ended yet, but the important thing is that I do have lessons from it that I'm moving for- forward with it. Like Everybody says recovery is not linear. It's very true. Very true. So I just have to work on being okay with that. And um, I think I am at a point where I understand that that's going to happen. And I know eventually, like, it's it will be gone. It will Mm -hmm. be. And, And I will feel more like my older self just with a better outlook on on things and knowing that I did this myself, like I yeah. conquered this myself. I didn't need any anybody's help. Like I untangled the web of this mental illness right. myself. And I think too, you clearly are taking the steps. You know, I think one of the first things is a- acknowledging it and taking responsibility of like, this is a problem, this is what I do and I'm aware of it. Yep. You know, like being aware of what you're doing and telling people and like you said like telling your husband was that first step but now you're telling the world I know so it's out there and I think that these are it might seem I don't want to say easy but it might seem like it's not a big deal but I always tell people like to sit down and completely open up and be vulnerable to me first of all you don't know me you know what I mean and then to the world because you know like hundreds and thousands of people Mm -hmm. see it and that is something to give yourself so much credit for. And I feel like in a way that is taking responsibility of yeah. your life. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it, you really do own your story. And I think you come off with such confidence. So even if you might not feel it, it yeah. seems that way. And I think that's something to really take in and, and realize that people, or at least me, yeah. I view you that way. And that's I think amazing. it's a, amazing and incredible. You're such a, like, you're so well-spoken. You did yes, such a great you. job. Thank Seriously. Um, and I, I know that it's with anything, whether it's an eating disorder or an, another addiction, you will hit a point where yeah. it's not as hard. Mm-hmm. But I also wouldn't be, like I said, I really wouldn't beat yourself up on the days that it seems like you maybe feel five steps backwards. Behind, exactly. Because yeah, yeah. then you, you might have a day where you feel 10 steps mm-hmm. ahead. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, But I think that you obviously are headed in a much better direction yeah. for your own health physically and mentally, which is so important. Totally. For yourself, 100%. your family, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to you know do what I can to take care of myself because that's what I deserve and that's what they deserve. Yeah. Be the best person. Start to love myself the way that – you know, I did once and 
And you can learn to love yourself too in a new way. Because I think it's really easy for us to look back and compare, even comparing ourselves to the old version of ourselves. But in reality, we aren't that person anymore. Even if that was who we were. Yeah. We can still, like, we might still be Devorah or, you know, whoever. Like, but it's, we're not Devorah 10 years ago. We're Devorah today. So it's almost like we have to, we have to grow and kind of, um, reform and reshape ourselves mm-hmm. and readjust to the new experiences that we've had and the new journeys that we're on. Yeah. Um, so you could grow and become even better than that person and even more confident right. than the old you. Right. Um, which I think is incredible. And it's something that you have to look forward to. Yeah. But definitely. seriously, you did such a great job. Thank you and so there's going to be so many people that I think feel really heard and not alone and that this this reaches a lot of people for sure you did incredible thank you so much for having me this has been amazing good was there anything else that was pretty much no i finished that was pretty much it no seriously you did so good thank you so much how do you feel good really good okay good really good yeah i'm glad i did this (laughs) you crushed it